It's Thursday afternoon. Wrong way. Dang it. <laughs> Doing a little connect this with our favorite, favorite ever. Unless, unless like anyone else is watching who's been on the show before. We loved you too. But our favorite ever guest, <laughs> our recurring guest, Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, congratulations. It is the first day of fall, so I'm wearing my jean vest and my cat mug for today. So uh, celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and we're back. Just want to make it awkward. You're welcome. Uh, we've got Doug Dawson with CCG, but uh, also known for Pots and Pans by CCG. I had no idea it was the first day of fall. My goal is just not to fall, so that's you know I I have pretty simple goals. I've uh, I've been traveling around, meeting new people at different events over the past uh, two weeks. I've been in three different places for cool events, and uh, my new test is uh, when I'm talking to someone, I'm not really sure if they're that savvy about broadband. I'll be like, oh, I do a show with Doug Dawson. He has pots and pans by CCG, and if they've never heard of it, I'm like, I don't take you seriously. <laughs> Ooh, I, I like it. Tough crowd. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. yeah, and the uh, the tough crowd guy is Travis Carter from USI Fiber. You know, I didn't know it's fall either. Is that today, huh? Yeah, you it know, is. I learned um, so much on this show. I... <laughs> you guys don't drink pumpkin spice lattes, I'm assuming. So, I mean, I think that's the problem. Well, I I go by the I go by the uh, the months. Yeah, everything's pumpkin spice now. I've noticed as of last night. So, hmm. <laughs> For me, fall started on September first. I just, I'm, I'm done with the whole like, you know, seasons, the sun, the moon, all that stuff. Whatever, like, just the calendar. You know, don't you work Three for months. a non nonprofit there, Mr. Mitchell? I do, and in fact, it's a nonprofit that was just connected by USI Fiber a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, it was really cool. It was, uh, I mean, like you know, it, it took a while because uh, I'm not in the office often enough, uh, and I kept delaying things and making things hard on your team. But you got us turned up, and then uh, I came into the office and <laughs> I went to our switch, and I just pulled out the Ethernet jack from the other one, and I put in the usi one and i was like there's like a two percent chance that this will work and of course it didn't everything was like super confused why everything on the network had just changed and like and i was like oh, okay i have to do it the hard way but so i i went back to our existing service and after a few days usi proactively reached out to me to say hey we saw your services on we saw that you're not using it wanted to know if you're having any problems we'd love to help you solve them uh so that was really cool nice nice well, I just I, I've been curious about this um, nonprofit because you seem to be jet setting all over the country, you know, yeah. and all stuff. So, yeah, no, a lot of people want to pay me to show up, and then uh, they'll pay me even more to leave. That's our model. So, mm. ah, so that's that's the real you. way that they that's how they fund everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just so everyone's clear, I get dinner for free. I don't pay to go out to dinner with Mr. Mitchell. So, yeah. <laughs> the celebrity think- you are. There's nobody who thought you were paying to go out to dinner with me, Travis. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a peekaboo. Oh, and I should say that in case you didn't notice it. um, Nope. (laughs) I'm going to figure this out someday. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Self-Reliance in my office for once. Um, Rye and I, uh, Rye behind the scenes making the show work. We're uh, doing a uh, a, um, an, uh, the Digital Equity Learning Lab uh, presentation right after this. And then we're going out to uh, some of the folks on uh, from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance are in town for a different event. So we're going to go to a happy hour with them later. Is the bookshelf going to fall down, though? I'm kind of worried about the bookshelf. I mean, it looks like it's kind of separated from the wall right behind you. Are yeah, no, it's... Safe? It's all good. Yeah. No. 
So, yeah, you can. No, the other way. The other one. Oh, the other way. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's just yeah. there's there's something I don't know. I don't remember why I did it that way, but there's something back there that. See now, now you've lost me. Yeah, now we have us your glasses up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice forehead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with with much less ado, <laughs> let's move on to Telecom Peekaboo. All right, I pick the hard one first. Uh, this is uh, uh, taken on a recent camping trip a little northeast of Rochester. Take it yeah, away, this, Doug. It's wireless backhaul. This, these have been these are the ones that have been around since MCI. I was saying yeah, it I mean, looks like something that has been around. These, these know, have been around since my gosh. The, late 70s or even early 80s so this is where you go from fairly long distances from tower to tower remember mci built their network along the railroads nationwide and this was their entire network no fiber so they so yeah so nowadays obviously they have better radios than they did then but and, and is it just that they have lighter radios now were these like built to be more substantial oh, no, because no, they're very the, heavy or no the new radios use better spectrum the radios the, the, all the electronics are on the ground and a in the thing. It's but why a, is this such heavy-duty build, like a tower? Like it's just so large. Well, see those big things on the top? Those things really pick up some wind resistance in, in big, heavy storms. So that's that's one of the reasons. In older day, <clears throat> in older days, they would have had more of those on it, and so they were really to make sure it didn't fall down when the wind hit sixty miles an hour. So okay. <clears throat> One of my first jobs was climbing those. I'm glad to not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I would, I would also comment that there's a large percentage of these that are no longer in use. Yeah, well, it could be, it could be not even turned on. Yeah, if there's fiber in the area. So this uh, also right. looks like put a, a cell tower. It looks like there's some backhaul radio. I wouldn't be surprised if that Omni on the top was some sort of public safety radio there's so, even a there's even a couple of pcs antennas stuck down yep, there exactly yeah so there's all sorts of stuff on there so like the ones here in the metro area in the twin cities uh there's one out by my house here it's been it's been turned off for years and years as as they laid fiber down so if we go to the next video and the next not video the next um this is on the same stretch of road oh yeah okay but so I was, I got out of the car to risk ticks because I'm a madman. I'm so wild and crazy um, to get up close. And I thought I would be able to have some information because I thought a lot of these had like a sort of like who to call if there was a problem or something like that. If you were drunk and you ran it over and you want to be responsible um, and there's no information on it. That's real typical. Yeah. First of all, Chris, how many drunk people do you think are going to get up and call if they are irresponsible? Yeah, um, no, I thought it was uh, this. This is just my dry sense of humor. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a joke. Okay, just making sure. Not the first time someone said, "Oh, that's a joke." <laughs> well, these are mostly there to warn people and their tractors not to dig up the old dang fiber. Is what they're really there for. So. Okay. Well, and yeah. it says actually this is buried cable. And I've seen yeah. them before. These have been around for a while. The one on oh, the yeah. right is like super weathered. Yeah. Um, it's probably still fiber. Even, even I mean, they've been burying fiber since the 80s. So. Okay. I mean, it could um, be ancient buried telephone cable. It's not impossible. So. And then is that like uh, the mark, the numbers and stuff like that? Is that like uh, 
just relevant for them to know? That's relevant for the company. That's their identifier when they call back to the office. Yeah. So, so every now and then on one of these, there's like a giant like 37 or 73 or some like ver, like really. Oh, like, we can't. I'm so, I'm sorry, but we can't tell you what that means. <laughs> That's top secret. You don't, I'm not you, don't there have, yet. you don't have a high enough classification. <laughs> So, However, don't put any of them in your basement. That's just enough said. So, yeah. I mean, I'll just say that when I'm driving along and I see those poles, I'm, one of the things I always think of is like, how many poles do these rural carriers own? They have like just uh, tens of thousands of poles and like these little like posts out there. Yeah, oh, yeah, they buy a oh, lot yeah. of them. That, that's uh, <laughs> managing managing long haul networks. This is it. I, I mean, they they're required on certain roads to put them in, like state roads. They absolutely have to put them. So. That's like especially around like a driveway or things like that. Yeah. And that's that's so you can do locates. You can just hook the the power source up there. Is that right? Generally, you you pop that top off where it says cable buried, and there's usually two terminals on there you can connect onto to locate. Yeah, yeah, and they're you know for. But you won't see these in like metro builds, Kim. Do you yeah. guys roll out marking like this? <clears throat> no, we don't. We don't either. This tends to be in you it's know middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. yep. imagine, imagine you have to mark a stretch and you drive out there. You have to be able to see these things, and then also imagine there's a huge snow bank. You got to right. be able to find. Or, ima or imagine that grass behind it's grown up. For yeah, feet, exactly. Right? So. You, you need at least a little top peak of the orange. Yeah. I, I was yeah. wondering who manages the grass around it. <laughs> Just whoever, think, whoever manages the road, state road funds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think actually farmers have like these like contracts to like um, hay those weeds and um, they'll do it periodically um, along major roads. Hmm. Um, but it's one of those things that like I feel like the economics of it are right on the edge. And so there's always a question of whether they want to keep doing it or not. Yeah, uh, could be wrong about that. Um, Okay, so uh, I feel like the next logical question is for Travis. <coughs> Travis, uh, what is the, the promise you're going to make about uh, Toronto next Tuesday? There's oh, you don't, talk about, you don't want to talk always, about it today? You, no, you, you were always asking what's up with Toronto, and you always say you're going to do something on Tuesday. So. Five well, shows in a row, it's been next Tuesday. Yeah. Yes, yes, we, we have done some <laughs> phase, phase one drive testing, and um, – so I'll give you the good, the bad, the ugly so far is um, the good is the Tarana radios are very good at mitigating noise, but bit, but you can only mitigate noise so far. So uh, channel hopping, we were able to find a decent channel with low noise and we were able to get out to about a mile from the tower and maintain reasonable throughput and i guess what i mean by reasonable is 100 down 50 up okay um but when we got to the north side where we got into heavy foliage that one mile radius really or that one mile really dropped quickly so i guess the fundamental question is is in an urban setting if you provide 100 by 50 wireless are you even competitive and that's kind of where the next step goes here is can we, with the uh, cost of the equipment and the cost of the their service, can we even make a go at this? So that is the the initial report back is it's impressive, but it's still wireless. Well, there's a much more important question now. There's two big carriers claiming they're going to deliver symmetrical gigabit with it, and they're oh. just. 
Yes. Maybe, maybe no. with their Gen <laughs> 2 radios, if you're 20 feet away from the tower, maybe. Oh, no, no, they're talking in rural areas where houses are a mile apart. More, but also where there's no interference, right? I mean, does that make it significant? There's lots of interference in rural areas. That's where all the interference is. Yeah. There's not very many channels, and there's five guys, wisps, who are just using every channel possible. But the rural can... areas are brutal yeah. for interference. So, okay. Travis, are you actually impressed with it, or what is your like general opinion of what what you saw? So far, I, I, I don't think for the cost it makes much difference. I mean, I, I could do very similar stuff with, say, like a Cambium platform for a fraction of the cost. Um, the, the noisy channels we were in, sure, it did a better job, but you still didn't have enough throughput to make it you know, terribly competitive. So you played the old classic switch the channel game, kind of like when I was a kid and you had the TV, you'd click the knob. And this channel's busy, so you go to the next channel. And you're, you're always going to be channel hunting to find space. And there's just in the five gig band, there's not enough. Have you uh, tried it on a, on a somewhat unlicensed band like 5.9 that you could do a test on and nobody well, would care? Yeah, 5.9 would be, um, I, mean, I think the results it, would be quite a bit better. Is it tunable to that? I don't think, unless we get the, um, which I was going to apply for, is the use permit. And then I think they can open up that that little that forty megahertz channel or fifty megahertz block yeah. at five nine. Um, but the problem is, is that it's only temporary. Well, you would never be able to buy that for a city. So, yeah. well, no, no. So our next step is we're going to put a mobile surveillance camera up, and we're going to stream high def video twenty four by seven, and kind of uh, plot over time how effective the system is. Um, I, I, I'm just not sold that at least right now that this would be a viable alternative to, well, it'll never be a viable alternative to fiber. The question is, is could this be the tip of the spear where you light up an area, bring out a bunch of customers with the idea to backfill with fiber, I guess, still to be determined. And yep. I, also, I have to do the financial piece of it as well. Isn't part of Toronto also though, that it learns and it improves. Have you given it a chance to do that yet? Uh, it has been up for a uh, couple weeks now. So I personally, that's kind of the next step is we need to determine, are we doing this all correctly? Um, but it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot to do. You kind of set it up and let it go, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I just struggle. 100 by 50 is not going to be enough to be competitive. Not at all. No. Well, and that's that leads us into a question I didn't prepare Doug for, but I think you could, um, if I'm if I'm going to throw a random question at anyone about Comcast, it's going to be <laughs> Doug off the top on technology. I'm seeing a bunch of headlines about uh, Comcast talking about um, improving Doxis by uh, the end of next year. Yeah, and that's I'm not going to give you the full story because it's they're going to go to a thing called either mid or upper upper split. They're going to reconfigure their entire bandwidth. It's still going to be the current docs is 3.1. By doing that, they can theoretically increase the upload by 1,300% and increase the download by about 25%. Now, in order to do that, they have to have a lot of spare room on their network. You know, they have to have extra space they're not using because if it's full of TV channels, you can't do it. So, so they might have to spend a lot of money in some networks to increase the overall size of the bandwidth. They also have to replace every single cable modem. 
Well, that's so what it's I was not, it's not going to be cheap. Yeah. Well, and don't they have to like touch like just about every piece of equipment on the network yeah. on, the, on yeah. the poles and everything? Yeah, but they're saying Cable Labs is saying that this will give them, you know, six to ten years on Doxus 3.1 before they have to go to Doxus 4.0. So it gives them, you know, right now if they got that would move upload speeds to maybe 500 megabits. That's a pretty big deal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean uh, it would it would stop now, me from now. They're claiming. They're claiming, it's so funny, in the very same article, they're claiming 1,300% improvement on download and 25 on, or da- 25 on download. And, and then they're going, and we're going to do 5 megabits by 1. Like, you can't do that. It's not 25% faster than today. <laughs> so there's a lot of smoke blowing in this. So theoretically, they, they're not they're going they're gonna to end up increasing upload speeds with it. So even when you talk about like having to replace all the modems and stuff like that, I mean, one of the things that has been interesting is that the CEO of Charter, who I think just got replaced, I didn't follow that. Quote. He did. Being on the road all the time, I'm barely following the news lately. Yeah. Yeah, like, he got he essentially got canned. Yeah. But he had said that like they were looking at like it was like 200 or 300 bucks per customer to improve all this stuff. And to me, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm curious. About and it's an all Kim's or nothing. You, and you can't layer this in with the old technology. It's, it's just not that much money though. Like yeah. I mean, like it's just it's just not that much money to have like to be competitive with fiber. I wouldn't think. No, they're gonna do it. So. You think? You think they won't do it do- everywhere? They're gonna do it in some markets where they're under pressure. Well, that's what I think. They're going to they're going to upgrade the system where they have competition. It goes back to the same old story. Yeah, they're going to do this in the rural areas that they're the monopoly in or cities that they have no competition or no reason to do it. Because why spend the capital when you already have the customers and you have this them like almost captured in this portal? But second of all, Chris, I mean, I'm more offended that you didn't think that I would be a person that you would want to talk to about technology. I mean, come on. Come on, Chris. That was that was pretty blatantly bad. <laughs> I mean, you are wearing glasses. So, right. you know, that officially means that you're a technical person. We're all wearing glasses. <laughs> uh, but, Kim, I'm curious. I mean, like, if you saw, I mean, if someone told you, you know, knowing that, you know, you're on a municipal network uh, that yeah. is doing well now, but had struggled for a lot of years yeah. and worked on a cost pressure. But if someone told you you could significantly improve your customer experience at a cost of, you know, $250 per customer for a one-time charge, like, is that something where you're like, yeah, let's put that off for a few years? Or are you like, let's get that done? I think if you're a municipal network where you actually give a crap about the customer, you're going to do it right now. If you are a, because you're not looking at the bottom line and trying to please shareholders. It's a very different stakeholder who who cares about what the experience is. For a municipal network, you're reporting to the uh, residents and you're reporting to the governmental agencies or your boss, the city managers, the councilmen. On a private company, you're reporting to the shareholders and how much profit can you make? It's a very different um, scheme of what you're looking at. So I think for me, absolutely, we would go right in and, and do that. But that is not the case for every company. Mm-hmm. Cable companies are in a really weird spot. Remember, Charter and Comcast, the last quarter, lost customers first time in 20 years. You know, they're starting to feel the real pressure of competition. Um, the, you know, they're going to have to be debating whether they're going to keep doing their annual price increases. Um, and then to go out and spend this capital money, I mean, they're getting their stock prices are getting clobbered, and that's all they really care about. So, so I mean, you're saying that it's not going to be it's not going to be an automatic decision for them to do that. 
But let me ask you this, Doug. Do they care about putting the money into lobbying to stop the competition who's coming into these markets? Well, they never, they, they ever stop caring about that. Which one do they care about more, lobbying or the customer experience? They're taking such a pounding. There's so much fiber being built. They're getting worried. So Yeah, and the lobbying just isn't that expensive. They, they really end up getting... You know, they're losing a lot of customers whenever fiber shows up. AT&T says in their neighborhoods they're getting 50% of the market after three years. And I don't disbelieve them. Doug, keep me honest on this, but, like, I feel like they, their lobbying government affairs budgets are probably in the order of, what, tens of millions of dollars a year? Yeah, something like that. So well, it's actually a lot more than that. Remember, like, Charter spends actually more for lobbying states than they do the feds. They're, I mean, they have big operations in the states. They but even so, the states, I mean, like, you're, no state yeah. is like, I mean, maybe maybe California, they're spending more than a million dollars, but like almost every state, they're spending like yeah. probably, you yeah. know, many tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, for it, their disappear, it disappears with a small percentage of their cost. But like, they are. make billions of dollars in profit. Right. So we're still talking about like on the order of like, you know, like less than 10% of their profits, you oh, know, is the amount of way, money they put no, into no, lobbying. Less, less than one tenth of 1% of their profit. So they, they make they make like six billion dollars a quarter, if I recall. <laughs> so I mean that's sort of, I mean so I mean I feel like it's a good point to remind people like how much they spend on lobbying rather than yeah. customer experience. But at the end of the day, they'd be crazy if they cut back on lobbying. They're gonna do like, it. They're that's their defense. It, they're gonna do it in Salt Lake City where there's fiber. They're gonna do it in the markets that have fiber. Mm -hmm. You watch. So, yep. Travis, what are you? What are your reaction to all this? They're gonna do it against Travis. Sure, I don't know. It doesn't. It makes really no difference. I hope they do it in St. Paul first. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's the next thing. I mean, but if you don't, if you never fix the fundamental problem with these companies and their customer service, and you can't undo thirty years of experience that most people have had with them before a new entrant comes into the market, it really doesn't make any difference. I mean. I don't. Every year there's some new great mousetrap that's going to undo the network, and it, you know. There, there's nothing on the horizon. The problem is, especially if you're rolling fiber out, you know, you kind of are spoiled where there is nowhere to go competitive wise. I mean, there's, I, there's... Travis, I think this brings in a good question. Is it technology that the consumers care about or is it the customer experience that they want because they're sick yeah. of being treated like crap for years over years? As long as the technology is very stable and very predictable and, you know, then it, then it comes down to kind of business 101, you know, what is your customer experience? Like, how do you treat your customers? Are you calling a call center in some, you know, other country or are you calling down the street? If there is a problem, how do you react to it? If you have an outage, how do you communicate with people? I mean, it's, it's that it's, it's all, I would say, assuming your technology is stable and reliable and works, then you, you roll everything else in. But but that's the big issue. I work in 100 cities, and, and the number one complaint is little, tiny, repetitive outages. Yeah. yeah I'm so, not for and, 10 minutes. I'm out for half an hour. And there's no that, one that's tracking that right people, now. And that's what drives people crazy. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. You used to like next level of this is the next level of tracking though. Like this is what we need. And there's some people who are working on it and we're going to be talking about that in future episodes, but like we need more people to have like a little ethernet device plugged directly into their router that is doing, you know, like every 10 minutes, every five minutes doing a check and, and tracking these things. And reporting to somebody accumulating right, yeah. that data, a dashboard. Yep. 
And, so and, I don't. I guess I would ask you, Kim. What's your what? What are you seeing? Because you know, as far as customer retention, because we lose very few customers. I mean, you occasionally right. lose somebody because they want to save ten dollars a month, and then you just wait three, four months, and they're back. You know, it's, it's it doesn't even phase me anymore. I don't know. What are you guys seeing out there? We we don't really lose customers that much. If we lose customers, they move to an area that we don't have service for the most yeah. part. That's what we're seeing. But I mean, on the outage front, I think that's something where you're even working at Team Utopia of is because it's, can we do an outage for one minute in the middle of the day? And I'm like, no, we can't. No. You can't. <clears throat> People are working from home and it's, what do outages look like? And what does that customer experience look like? Because it has been a game changer over the past year of even the smallest outage people notice where they might not have noticed even three years ago. And it's, how do you, that's what people are really looking at and seeing more and more than I have ever seen before. At 2 a.m., it's, I had an outage for five minutes when you were under a maintenance window. Well, how can we even be more transparent to let people know what's happening on those, those occasions? It's about being more transparent and forthcoming with your consumers because they understand more than we think they understand at this point. But in the daytime, you're throwing tens of thousands of people out off of Zoom call. I mean, that's not a good thing. So, no, this was yeah. like a one time, like one person at yeah. a time. Still, you're, ah, you're, I mean, no. it's, it's still even that. I'm like, no, not happening because it is because what if that one person goes down and then you might have a glitch, right? The only time we would do that is if you have a fiber cut or something that happens that affects 500 more people than the 10 that, that you might be taking down. Um, so it's it's always a game of how do you like work through this customer experience right now because consumers in this space want to be valued more than they have ever been valued before. So let's jump to a topic that we've covered in the past, which is states giving out money. Uh, and I want to I want to ask him a, a pop quiz. Go ahead, Kim. No, but I, first of all, I want to know which side you're on before we start this pop quiz. Yeah, are you anti-government today or pro-government? We need to know. Oh. I yeah. guess I am. Absolutely. So the pop quiz is um, Tennessee gave out like half a billion dollars. I mean, uh, approaching that, I think, to a number, uh, a bunch of different entities. Uh, how many municipalities got awards from Tennessee? Oh, 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 zero. <laughs> See, that's what I thought. And I was all ready to be like outraged and angry at two. Uh, Fayetteville, Fayetteville and Knoxville both got awards to serve, uh, I believe, unserved areas within their electric footprint. So Tennessee continues to not allow any, any municipalities to serve anyone outside of their electric footprint. But within their footprint, the state has now subsidized uh, municipal fiber. I feel like that was a trick question, um, oh, yeah. Chris, because we know that Tennessee doesn't like muni broadband. So I feel like you uh, set me up for that, but thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I know that you have the confidence that you would recover from it. Well, I think they had them. They made those awards so they can say, "Look, see, we are not anti-muni." So, but, but it's I mean, percentage-wise, that was a pretty small piece of the pie. It was so. small. Now, most of the money went to co-ops, you know, and I right. think maybe local companies. I didn't see AT&T no, no, in there. No, they did a lot to co-ops. Yeah, yeah. They, they they love co-ops in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, Tennessee's the history of public power of the co-ops right. and the munis. So, yep. yeah, um, 
it's uh it's so anyway like i feel like you know uh, we're, we're i'm always ready to bash the states that are giving money to the wrong entities uh tennessee i think uh you know i'm still very disappointed that you won't let the municipalities expand fiber for a fraction of what uh they'll pay like uh, other companies to do but uh uh but still uh steps in the right direction from tennessee i think the most Interesting thing about the awards is they're one of the half dozen or dozen states who said, we're not waiting for the bead grants. They're giving out very large state grants and they're going like, you know, we don't have any faith that the, that the feds will take care of this. And, and, and they're covering so much area with these grants that they will not need as much bead grants. So I, I, mean, I think that they're, they're like Virginia's the same. They've made a commitment that we're going to take care of this stuff. So but, yeah, that's not like Minnesota from what you just wrote. Minnes- no, Minnesota has one of the smallest state grant programs around right now. I mean, almost everybody else is bigger. So, yeah. I have a question for you, Chris. Did anybody else apply to those areas or was it almost they had to give it to these people because they were the only ones who applied for those rural areas? You know, I, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'm not sure. So so they might have their hand might have been forced. They might not really appreciate these um, giving these grants, but they really had no other choice. I don't know. I mean, I see Travis, you want to jump in for a second, but let me, I want to throw something out there that I feel like we're going to continue to see. And that's that state broadband offices are increasingly made up of people that are not from industry. They are people who are from, you know, like more like our walk of life who are focused on solving the problem and getting people connected efficiently. And so they're not, their first instinct is not to figure out how to pad the profits of those companies, the big national companies. And I feel like we're going to see more of this conflict as state legislatures get mad at their state broadband offices because the legislatures are going to be hounded by the big companies with all the lobbyists and saying, you know, why aren't you just giving us the money? And and I think there's going to be some conflict there because the state offices are um, not run by industry insiders. There's no revolving door for most of the state broadband offices right now. I absolutely think you're going to see that conflict. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. So. It'll be very interesting. The legislatures will just get together at two o'clock in the morning, pass a new law and kill the other grants. <laughs> yeah. or say I, I, you know, I live in a state where we do that sort of thing or like in Louisiana be like oh you know what we've decided to give you a fifth challenge opportunity the, the right. you know the day before they turn on the network <laughs> like right. you, can, you can actually pull the money back after they put fiber in the ground where are they pulling the state broadband office officials now I mean I know that they've had anywhere they can find them there was yeah. another one just left and now they're I think you know I mean maybe like a month ago we we estimated just total back of the envelope that half of the states didn't have a top state broadband official right a lot of them still don't the fact the fact is if you're in the industry they don't pay enough they're not competitive in, in salaries so and, and it's one of the toughest jobs you can imagine right now i mean that's a lot of pressure to take that job so a lot I'm of gonna, times I've, i think it's someone else that's been at the, in, in the state and knows how the state works and they're most of the ones i see are coming from somewhere else already in the state government yeah yeah they're i've been industry. by a couple and I was yeah. like, I looked at their salary and I was like, first of uh-huh. all, I know what I'm dealing with. No way in heck are you going to do that for what they're offering to pay. And it is the pressured cooker of a job. I mean, it's a terrible yeah. job. So. Yeah. And Travis, I mean, you if you attention changes, then your job could change. I mean, there's no like stability of what's happening in that field as well, too. <clears throat> and you can't write any checks, checks to Travis. So that sucks. Or he Thanks can't. So I had a uh, observation slash question. So I've been meeting with the uh, local uh, government entities around here in the Twin Cities, and I, I just have noticed kind of a common thread that they are 
struggling to keep staff and 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 attract staff. And I also kind of get the sense of please don't please don't put too many of these programs on us because we really don't have the resources to manage them or and maintain them. I don't know is that a fair observation from around the country or it's just they they're struggling just to do what they need to do, let alone deal with broadband issues. My own personal theory on that, Travis, is the workforce has changed since COVID and, and people don't want jobs where they have to put up with BS and, and, and bureaucratic government jobs tend to be that. I mean, a lot of the workforce is simply wanting jobs that they feel have give them satisfaction. And a lot of state jobs don't do that. And it's not just them. A lot of industries are having exactly yeah, the yeah. same problem. So. I, I do. I, I kind of, I kind of felt bad for these folks because they're like, God, we've yeah. got multiple open positions that could really help, and we can't find anybody to fill them. And I think what I'm curious about is like for people that have less experience in the workforce who are frustrated, and I feel like maybe they are feeling like the workforce isn't what they thought it would be, and they're going to hop jobs several times before they realize that there's no perfect job. That like even if you're in a great right. job, hard, and like you know like managers aren't always great. Like we do the best we can, you know. Like but like there's no job where you're going to be like ready to go to do it every single day. Like there's going to be hard days. Yeah, I like this. Well, life. that's not true because because you obviously have that job. Oh, I, I these days where I'm really just not sure I want to get out of bed. I do love that Chris is like kind of poor me of I'm not the greatest manager, but I try attitude. Awesome. He was telling about himself there, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I try to stop. I, I was told years ago to stop hitting, and I'm trying to stop yelling. So, <laughs> no, I, I just, I was just, it's just been an observation. It hasn't been as terribly scientific, but I just feel like it was like, oh, great, they want to put more work on us, and we don't really have the resources to, to handle it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I mean that's the fact, right? I mean, there's. Uh... You know, I, I was just the, one of the events I was just at. I was there with NTIA officials, and I'm constantly talking about how NTIA screwed up this, NTIA screwed up that. And when I see them face to face, I'm just like, I'm so thankful that you're doing this job <laughs> you know, like, because like, it's so hard. Like, you have to, to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, like, right now it's a time when NTIA has pulled a lot of really good people out of the states who they would have who they would have picked up. And, um, uh, you know, anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to 10 years from now when some of us are still doing this work. Uh, there's going to be a ton of people to pick from that have a lot of experience. Right. It's, I mean, it's crazy in the broadband field in, in general. I was just up in Bozeman, right. Montana, and I passed a, a McDonald's and it said their, their inside, what, like the inside like lobby wasn't even open. And on the windows, it said we're starting paying at $18 an hour. Mm -hmm. you, you're competing from the government sector in some of these really skilled positions, competing with some things that are people are companies who are just trying to get like workers through the door. It's a very interesting time right now. Yeah. Let's actually jump into, into, I think related to this interest rates. Um, Travis always wants to talk about this. Doug wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, the, the stock market is uh, it's a great opportunity to buy, buy, buy. <laughs> we believe it's going to go back up eventually, but, but things are, you know, inflation's up. It, it, we thought for a little while it was going to be going down. I think, um, there's reason to believe that people who make a lot of decisions in the economy don't think it's going to go back down. So we had a three quarter point rise and uh, this changes a lot of things. Well, it's worse than that. They said there's a three quarter percent rise and expect many more 
He didn't say more. He said many more. And you got to, I've been around through six cycles of this nonsense. And, you know, to really stop the inflation we're having, you have to go back and look at the 1980 where they, they jacked it up to like eight or 9% the Fed rate. I mean, they're going to stop inflation and if they have to shut the economy down for six months to do it. So Doug, yeah. tell us about the panic of 1867. What was that one like? Well, I don't know that. I can't remember that <laughs> one. I was, you know, my, my bottle, I was still being bottle fed. You know, <laughs> but, you know, but, but there, I, we're not even anywhere near the top and this is already getting big expensive. I mean, home mortgages are going to be 7% this week. And it's getting real ugly real fast. Seven percent? Is that how far they were? They were six and a quarter last week. Now they're going to go to seven. Yeah. That's yeah, I was on the road for a week, and we went up almost a percent in one week. <laughs> we did. It three quarters of a percent yesterday. So yeah. aside from generalized griping about how this, uh, you know, affects other things, the um, how does it really change things for an ISP? Oh, it's drastic. If if you if you it's just like a, a, a ISP loan is just like your home mortgage. If you go from three to six percent, your payment doubled. I mean, you're that's a, and that's already one of the biggest payments for most ISPs. That's this is drastic. I mean, it you know it, it's this is a, this is a game changer if you especially if you have a variable rate loan or if you're just trying to get a new loan. All of a sudden, it's not affordable. Does that it will turn stop? to Travis and go? How, what's this going to do to you if it keeps going? But is it stop projects? Like, does it stop people oh, yes. building? Yes, and see now. Starting 15 years ago, I worked for many projects where we would interest shop. It's like, if, if I can get it for six, we go. But if, if it's higher than that, I won't. And you would wait it out. And so it absolutely stops projects. <clears throat> it gets to be these kind of numbers. Because the, the math just doesn't work at some level. So. Well, I want to I get Travis's reaction. But I'll no, one other thing that you had said, Doug, is um, it, it also changes your willingness to go through a lot of paperwork to get those low reconnect loans and things like that. Uh, yes. But uh, Travis, what's, uh, what's on your mind as the interest rates go up? Um, <clears throat> so the truth of this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you one guess. Who do you think suffers on these interest rate loan issues? Well, I know that I know that you're going to say the low income folks. Well, no, but, you're you're now literally going to the the interest move from, you know, say three to seven in your high uptake areas. Yeah, it's it's not great and it doesn't. But you will not be filling in the low uptake areas as quickly as maybe you would have before is really what it's going to come down to. So you're going to see, I feel more networks that are kind of Swiss cheese than you normally would, or you're going to see areas that people just slow down. And bills. that's because the marginal cost of like burying more plant is not worth it, given how much you're paying to borrow. Well, well, we've touched on it. Labor costs are, are, are through the roof. Material costs are through the roof. And now you add on top of it interest rate, you know, risk, and especially if you're in a situation like most of us that are building that have variable rate loans out there, this kills us. This absolutely kills you. So you'll now start really looking at areas going at 7% simply can't afford to go in there. And, and you're standing at the risk that it could go to 8, 9, and 10. And that's the exactly. real scary. Yeah. It, but what's, what's interesting about these fiber networks specifically is the down, the slowdown scenario, if the stop build scenario, you know, then you, then you just start satisfying all the debt. You know, really the worst case is this interest rate gets too high. And everyone stops, you right. know, because the ISPs will be fine for what they've built. It's, you mean, it's expansion. 
that. When you that say the goal. ISPs, do you mean all of them or just certain size ones? Well, like let's let's take Utopia. I, I don't know their financial situation. My assumption is that they stop building their their EBITDA and it goes through the rough, right? And they're and then they would just rapidly do debt service instead of expansion. But I, I think but, that's question though i think that's a question travis is for a you or a private isp you can <laughs> choose the areas that make the most sense from an roi standpoint when you're building these areas but for a municipality who's building these and for a lot of cases they're building out the entire city because that's their responsibility so do you see these municipalities stop building as well because they don't have the the choices to be the swiss cheese model one one hundred percent they'll stop or yes and that's my experience they stop they, they simply don't take the loans out they go look we'll wait a year and maybe it'll be better is what they do right well and the other the other part which is even more interesting is now private equity who's sitting there which is really it people will start selling more of their companies to private equity to offset the interest cost as well so well, for the people well, I, that want to continue to build and the very last aspect of this is banks stop lending because now Travis's business plan doesn't look like it's so easy to pay back the money. They won't even give oh, yeah. it to start with. They go, look, you don't, you don't cash flow this number. I won't make this loan to you. So banks, as interest rates goes up, the banks stop lending. So you have different conversations with banks like right now, Travis? Not us, not us so much anymore because we're 12 years in. But if we were, if we were year, if we were in our first or second year of building, this would have killed them. There would not be a third year. No, this would have killed them. No, right. the, the, any hope that small ISPs are going to be taking out a bunch of money is virtually dead at this point. I mean, what was it 75 basis points today, Doug? Yeah, yeah, and there's at least another 75 there's coming a, through. Probably several more. So let me ask you the question, though, the person. So you say you have private equity or, you're, you know, these companies EBITDA goes up. That means people are going to come and acquire these who, like you said, who's going to really um, start paying more in the end? It's the consumer, because if you're really reducing these back to a monopoly or duopoly, what is going to happen? The consumer is going to suffer with these interest rates going up. Yeah, yeah. This, this oh, is yeah. the yeah, this is the trifecta. This is the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Labor rates are through the roof, material costs are through the roof, and capital costs are through the roof. I mean, it couldn't be any worse than this. And this has all just happened in the last, don't, you know, don't, let's, just, let's just go back and edit that out because I don't want to hear after the past, like, I don't know, six years, I don't want to hear anymore. It couldn't get worse than this. I'm done. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it, yeah, I, I, you can't make this up. It gets worse. So, yeah. <laughs> I, um, you stop. Is this a federal government dig, um, Chris, or is this just reality that you're trying to I, say? So, I mean, I'll, I'll say that, like, I do feel like um, I was just listening to someone who um, maybe is on Twitter or someone that I follow. I, I, I do follow a variety of people who I agree with eclectically because they have all kinds of odd beliefs that change on the day. And I also follow people I disagree with. And someone was just, like, going off about how um, – uh, what's her name from um, Massachusetts, the senator? Um, um, senator um, – uh, um, Warren, uh, and they were like blaming her for the rest for the, like, the inflation because of <laughs> on, like um, different packages. And I was amazing personal power. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Juan. I did. I know Juan is a little bit behind, but he almost got it in faster than I remembered it. That's how long it took me to pull that name. Um, 
the um the uh, but my reaction is sort of like oh did she cause the inflation in australia and europe and everywhere else too and that's the thing that i don't fully get is like you know this isn't my area of specialty but like the idea that the united states can stop worldwide inflation by by killing the economy i'm i i, I think there's reasons to question the orthodox strategy and i do realize the united states is like what it had been like what 20 25 of the world economy it's significant but anyway i just i feel like this is like still like in in a hundred years, people look back at us like we look back at medical, you know, practices a hundred years ago. We can't stop it, but we can put a real damper on it. It does work. Monetary policy works, and it's a long two-hour webinar all by itself, but it does work. So. Um, oh, uh, Rye must be really busy because I'm surprised he didn't get up a uh, you know economics with Chris uh, banner again. So uh, let's move away before he has. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you know, you you bring up an interesting point. At the end of the day, and I always go back to the one of the wisest people I've ever met. Hundred dollar internet will be here shortly, <laughs> and and at a hundred dollars, these interest rates are irrelevant. Yeah, and I know for that, and that, is one, that is one way around that. If you if you charge enough money, it becomes way less important. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll note that there are some folks who uh, sitting here in this chair who are paying $100, but $100 introductory or standard tier internet. Um, is yeah, I guess I would say ARPU. If, you're, if your average is $100 across the board, then a few, uh, 75 basis points is not a, is not a big deal. Right. Um, so uh, a couple of the topics we're going to get to. Uh, NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, has announced a new plan that comes after uh, the previous administration, uh, the de Blasio uh, mayor mayorship, came up with a plan that, um, I don't know, I loved. I think other people on this call thought was really sharp for a large city to basically build fiber throughout a lot of the city that would be open to all kinds of different business plans uh, that would basically make it so that anyone that wanted to attach to it could do so under reasonable terms to like build out their building or the neighborhood or whatever they wanted to do. And new mayor came in and was basically like, Hey, um, Altice and time Warner cable are now charter spectrum. And, you know, and Verizon, are you guys all cool? If we did, Oh, you don't want us to do that. Cool. How about if we just write you big checks? And that seems to be, um, what's happening now with the public housing authority. Um, it's like two or 300,000 people, right? It's a giant number. Yeah, I think it might even be more than that. I mean, there's literally like one of the, yeah. I think Queensbridge has like 50,000 residents and they, that was a, a test project where they'd done free Wi-Fi. Uh, and so, yeah, I think there might actually be five or 600,000 people living under. And so the city is saying, we're just going to go ahead and pay everybody's bill. That's yeah, for cable television as well as for cable as, television too. That's what I saw. So first of all, wow. I say I did read all. I don't. I still don't understand exactly that. I, yeah, I didn't read. It I thought it was a basic package of telephone. I, I assume it would just be the local cable channels. I can't imagine they're paying for ESPN. No, no, um, basic, but and then yeah. like a broadband package as well. And yeah, like the um, and it's it's with um. Altis and uh, Charter Spectrum, and they're having a discussion with Verizon about whether they would apply. But nearly everyone is covered by those two cable companies who have divided up the Big Apple. So, well, it's a heck of a deal for the cable providers because they get 100% penetration whether people use it or not. It doesn't even matter if they have a home computer, they're going to bill for that unit, right? And then, I mean, they just got it, that many more customers, which for Charter, since they lost customers last quarter, that's going to spike their number up. I mean, they're loving this, well, so uh, and, was, and and it's a guaranteed revenue stream. The question is, well, how it's not sustainable. The next well, yeah, mayor is going to come in and go, 
we write a check for how much every month and they're going to can it. I mean, it's not a sustainable program. That's a lot of money to write out. So and, um, and also says it's only a three-year deal too. Yeah. So 300,000 residents are under. Well, that's as I long actually as think... the mayor's going to be in. That's why it's exactly. Yeah. And I think NYCHA may actually have more residents than that, but I think these are the developments that have been a part of it. Um, so now to be in favor of this plan, it gets everybody broadband now. I mean, yes, you have to no, admit, that's huge. You have to admit that it's just, it's done. And well, so I'm if, you, curious. If, you, I mean, like, if you did this for three years while you were building the fiber, I think I would be way in favor of this. I mean, if yeah. Travis, if I came to you and uh, after I became mayor of Minneapolis, a city that I'll probably never live in because uh, St. Paul, uh, but, um, but if I was mayor of Minneapolis and I said, Travis, uh, how about if this, for every family that you sign up, uh, you know, we'll guarantee you $30 a month, uh, for every low income family in Minneapolis, would that change the economics of you building out to low income neighborhoods? Oh, absolutely. The question is how long will the program run for? Because I've got to sign up for 10 year debt to build that. And if you're right. going to sign me up for a three year deal, then I would pass. Right. And, that, and that's where the end. And how difficult is the city going to be to work with? Is it going to be a thousand meetings and feasibility studies and all this other stuff? Or are we going to get to work and get something done? That would be my next question. Have you ever met government, Travis? Have you ever met government? Well, you know, I, 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 I get along really well like with our local government, but I, I, I make a point of having a point person, somebody that we can deal with, and then they deal with the government minutia behind it. I don't have to deal with it. I, I won't do a government deal unless we can focus it that way. So if you, if Chris, if you were in charge of the program and you said, all right, we're going to do a 10 year deal and I could match it to my debt. We do that all day long. And I think what's interesting there is that in my mind, that's a different kind of deal than one with a massive company that has um, uh, different incentives where, you know, as soon as you make a deal like that with a big company, they're immediately, they have people who are, whose job is to figure out, okay, how can we maximize the revenue Chris is going to give us? As opposed to Travis, who's like, cool, we're going to connect a bunch of families that need it. Now, you got to remember the cable company has very little incremental cost to do this. They're already at all these buildings. Right. So they're not building any network. They do have to give people Great deal. Yeah. yeah, so this is a heck of a deal for them. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's also, I'll be curious to see, like, I mean, in more details. So, um, you know, thank you, Jake, uh, for putting in uh, 300,000 residents and 200 developments. And Rye had found that NYCHA uh, serves 555,500 New Yorkers, although that does include Section 8 programs. So there's probably a substantial number of people who are in Section 8 where they, you would not be able to do They're not going to be part of this. Yeah. yeah. But that's fair. honestly, like, that's the one place where you want it, right? Like the 200 developments, you can have a really great program that would serve those people free or high quality service. It would be totally affordable in those 200 developments. I mean, we're talking about, it would be significant one-time costs. Like, so, I mean, just numbers that I've seen in talking to people, you're talking about a new building, you know, on the order of like 200, $250 per unit of one-time costs to be able to connect them, whether it's with ethernet or something to then deliver a high quality service over time. Older buildings. So you're talking about maybe like many hundreds to a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars to deal with the, the uh, toxic chemicals of a building that was built in the 70s or the 60s. But they're going to they're gonna spend six or 800 or 900 a unit this way year. every year. Every yeah. year. Right, exactly. So I'm just trying to lay the economics out for people who aren't familiar with it. Like, But like the place where you, you do not have the option 
of having an economical, you know, a $300 per, per year, or I'm sorry, $300 one-time cost, $10 per month recurring costs. You cannot do that in the single family homes or in like small apartment buildings where you have the Section 8 housing. The Section right. 8 housing is precisely where you want to strike this deal with the cable companies. That's where they can make a difference. Yes. Because they could do that anywhere. Right. You house, just give them addresses. Right. right. Um, the well, uh, bottom line, good deal for the cable companies and good deal for the people who get it. They're not paying anything. So it's, well, it's, Chris, yeah. the question I have for you, Chris, remember we talked about free people don't like free. How does that, yeah, some people don't. How, how does that overlay on here? Especially free from the government, you know? It's a good question. I mean, let's let's have a realistic sense. I actually don't think this moves the needle as much as most people who read that article think it will, right? I think a lot of people never sign up for this program uh, because uh, it's not enough to just give people, you know, like a free option. Like we said, there needs to be digital skill building. There needs to be devices. And so I I believe NYCHA is probably doing some of those other things already, but it's not a part of this article. But you couldn't just do this across the United States and solve our broadband problem. Okay. Because I, this this issue of trust dealing with this community of people who are used to trying to be ripped off, who are not used to, to mention, stealing people. Not to mention, this podcast would have no purpose and we'd all be gone. So. <laughs> God forbid, if in a week where I'm working like 60 hours, I take some time to breathe. <laughs> Go ahead, Kim. Working you, what are you flying around? around? <laughs> what are you talking I did about? sleep on the plane. All right. I never Go ahead, Kim. But I mean, it, it, this is just giving more. Like this is going into the people who can deliver really fast and it's uncomplicated are big cable companies. Whether we like it, whether we don't, that's what they can do, and right. that's why they win in these situations um, because it's a, a lot more complex to build these networks, even with Travis or myself, than to just pay the big ca- cable companies to get it done instantaneously in an instantaneous culture. No, and they and they walked into the new mayor and said. You've got a five-year plan. We can solve this in five months. That's exactly yeah. their sale. And, right? and yeah. when it becomes clear that this is a terrible idea, you won't be in office anymore. So it's not right. your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think about this too. I mean, uh, I mean to to give Elon Musk some credit, uh, which I know that is could very well put me, you know, on the outs with a lot of people that I like. Um, he's connected five hundred thousand people, right? And um, that is so many people. That's like, um, you know, I, I just, it's, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like three Chattanoogas, two Chattanoogas, two and a half Chattanoogas, maybe that, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's pretty remarkable. Now that's his worldwide number, but yeah, it, it's going to grow to the many millions, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so we have another story or two. Um, let's go pretty quickly through this. I don't want to get too outraged, but um, Palo Alto is once again uh, building uh, fiber. Uh, or no, 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 I'm sorry. It's considering building it's fiber. It seems, it seems more serious than we've seen it in the past. And I wanted to include this because I, I've long been watching Palo Alto closely, and I have a real frustration with Palo Alto, which has some pockets of, of people that really need better access um, who can't afford it, although a lot of people in Palo Alto are quite wealthy. Um, 
And Palo Alto has been running dark fiber for more than 20 years. That money by local law, I believe, or else local policy is set aside in a bank account that's supposed to be used for fiber. So they're sitting on more than $35 million, I believe. And I have never seen a community take this long to make a decision. Um, and, and no community I've ever met just has $35 million of free money sitting around that they could do something with. Well, this is the typical case of what we always call paralysis by analysis. I mean, that, you know, I mean, they, they have studied this every three years since 1997. So they, and they just can't make up their mind. So well, obviously, some ways, obviously at the political level, they've got people for it and against it and they just can't break that. I think, I think it's yeah. different at the political level. I think they have most people have been for it. The city staff, and in part, I think a previous utility administrator specifically went out and recruited people who would be opposed to municipal fiber, and they have quietly thrown wrenches in in every opportunity that has moved forward. Ah, um, that's interesting because that that's what happened in Seattle. The many times Seattle study at the electric utility there said we're not doing it no matter what, and they were the only ones who could do it. So it didn't matter that the mayors wanted to do it. So. It goes back to politicians can't make these guys, these, these things happen. It's the city, city staff who has to work day in and day out to execute on these things that make these things happen. And if you don't have the city staff who's willing to put the blood, sweat, and tears in, this project is never going to get off the ground, no matter what the politicians say. Because launching a citywide ISP is a lot of work. I mean, it's it is. Yeah. I mean, I just have to say, I've always found some of the studies ironic. And there's one that I was really angry about. I don't know. It might even be 10 years ago now. Um, it would have been after 2012 because it was a, it was after DOCSIS 3 had been deployed in the area. And and there was uh, people who were saying, well, you don't understand. There's just no demand because AT&T has this advanced DSL there and Comcast has the DOCSIS 3. And, you know, we don't have the kind of demand. And I'm just like, yeah, right. Like, why would Palo Alto have the kind of demand that we see in these really tech savvy cities like Chattanooga, right? Like <laughs> Tullahoma, like, like like Longmont, Colorado, you know, like obviously, obviously those cities have a tremendous demand for fiber, but why would Palo Alto? And now like the argument is like, oh, well, there was always a demand for better fiber, but now AT&T is meeting it. So there's nothing for the city to do. And why, like, isn't right. Google, why isn't Google building it there? That's I mean, the I think I think Google's not building there because they don't. Google doesn't want to deal with um, a lot of stuff in California. Politics, right? Yeah. So, um, and I mean, I'll, you know, I say like I think Google is often doesn't want to go head to head with a cable company unless they have an advantage. Um, yeah. it's but, hard, but it can be hard. Mesa. I mean, they're doing that in Mesa, but that's a different topic. For a different I'm day. still trying to figure out what's going on in Mesa. I don't think we really know. <laughs> go ahead, Travis. We're, we're not going to know until someone actually shows up and does it. Right. So I've got a very, I, I feel it's a very logical question to ask the team here about Palo Alto. Have they done a feasibility study yet? Oh, they've done so oh, many. Let's you see, probably them. seven or eight. I don't know. It's one of the highest cost places to build fiber in the world. Yeah. Why? Because of yeah, why? Because it's California. Labor, just like it's all built up. Um, there's, uh, I don't, it's all going to be underground, and it's like, I don't, I don't know why it's complicated, but Doug, you probably have a better sense. That's one of the places I've refused to ever do a study in. So, but I, I just assume they probably have local ordinances that just make it incredibly expensive to bury, probably. So, so we basically yeah. have more demanding residents who are a little more picky on how everything is done, probably than any yeah. other. There's, or, I mean, or remember, uh, West Coast can get nutty. Remember, five years ago, Seattle put in an ordinance that said before you can put a pedestal or a box in a neighborhood, you have to get the closest 15 houses to all 
approve it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imagine what just, that would do to you, Travis. I think a significant well, amount of the reason for that, though, was people were like, we don't want CenturyLink <clears throat> to put a bunch of boxes up to deliver crappy DSL. Yes, but that also stopped anyone from building fiber. I mean, it, right. was, it, it was a massive overreaction. You can't get 15 neighbors to a, approve anything. There's no topic you could get 15 people to a vote on. The interesting <laughs> thing about Mesa my, that... You have been to my neighborhood, Doug. I bet I can get 15 neighbors. I'll go around and see but if But you I have to get the closest 15. You have to get every single one naysayer. You can't cherry pick them. Yeah, you oh, can't cherry pick 15. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll... Bet. I won't be like Chris and take bets that you're going to lose. Don't take a bet because we're going to make you go get them to agree on something. So, yes. But the, you brought up Mesa, and I hadn't thought about this, but one of the things I feel like is the most undercovered aspect of this is AT&T is planning on building there. AT&T mm -hmm. is not the ILEC. AT&T, no. this is a major, <clears throat> major deal if AT&T is actually going to build fiber yeah. in, in, in a greenfield build for them. Yeah, they've never done that before anywhere, so that's really unusual. Yeah. I just want to sit on along the sidelines in Mesa. I feel like I should just go rent a house and watch this go down in Mesa. You don't need to rent like a house. Just, Travis will Travis will give you a room in in his like cavernous uh, trailer. But it's an interesting city, as you can imagine, being in Arizona. It's got an older population. It's this is really heavily residential. I mean, it's not a giant. I mean, it has business because it's a city, but. It's way heavy residential. It's an interesting place. Well, just to be clear, I just finished my feasibility study of Palo Alto, California, <laughs> and it does not look that difficult to build in comparison. It'd be about as hard as it is here in Minneapolis. or Except they don't have winter. Yeah, they don't have winter, but I mean, they've oh. got all the basic components you need. It looks like they've got a decent public right-of-way, kind of a oh, north-south, oh. east-west configuration, so... I'm going to take a wild guess and assume it. That is not the reason they haven't built over the last seven feasibility it's a really studies. Really bad feasibility study there you did, Travis. I think it was. Well, you know, long. when you've done this long enough, you can kind of look at it and go, "Oh, do they have the ten things we need?" Yep, they do, and they even have it better. They have weather, so. Yep. Um, I was. What, did anyone catch the population of Palo Alto? What's the most recent? Oh. Sorry, somebody, actually, somebody will pop it on the screen now. You ask, we have. I, all I can say it's the upper one percent in Palo Alto. That's all I know about what we're looking um, at. Okay, so it's about seventy thousand people. But like to give you a sense, I mean, there a previous feasibility study that people thought was high. The CTC feasibility study put it at like seventy million, um, and, and they the already have half is, of it in the bank. They had half of it in the bank. And then the more reasonable one, I mean, the more recent one is about 120,000 with uh, the labor costs having in, in other um, inflation. Um, but to give you a sense, like Far Texas just built this for like 38 or is building it for 38 million on the similar, I mean, a totally different type of place, but the same number yeah. of people. It's an interesting case study of the two extremes. But how much money have they spent on feasibility studies? What are they waiting for? Oh, they must be on the order of five, six, like $5 million at this point of like, not just feasibility studies, but consultants and everything. I don't, maybe three to $5 million, I would guess, like over the past 20 years. Everyone who's in the industry to give them Except their for Doug. opinion. Yeah, Doug. not me. <laughs> yeah. 26 so square miles. Yeah, I, I think you're right around 100 gets, gets it done. But you, know, um, you, don't need, you don't need 100 in debt. I mean, you'll have a lot of subscribers. Right. So. But so from my point of view, I was just always so frustrated because I would be talking with some of them, usually with, with people who are interested in it. And and I was like, all right, fine. Like we you want to argue about how much it costs. Maybe it's going to be 50 million, maybe it'd be 70 million. You, you got thirty five million dollars. It's free. Like build some of it out. You'll get a sense of the numbers pretty quick. 
Oh, you can build a lot for 35. Heck, and that'll generate the revenues to help pay for the Yeah, rest. you could get a yeah. third done, take those revenues and build the rest. Right. Yeah. So it goes back to something is holding it back besides revenues, besides no, it's whatever. Gotta, it's it's, it's got to be politics. It's, it's utility staff that, that have, uh, they, they're, they're, they, they came over from Alameda um, and they had a horror stories about what it was like. Alameda having been a failed public-private partnership that then turned into a failed retail model, I believe, that Comcast yes. crushed underneath its boot. And those people were like, never, ever will I ever like, you know, be a part of another municipal network. And they were brought in specifically for that from people who wanted to basically keep the utility from doing it. And they were successful. I mean, that's I think I'm oversimplifying, but it's a significant factor. I didn't realize it was them. Those folks did go through the wars. Yes. So uh, I think it comes down to and not me because I'm the anomaly in this space. But government of uh, employees are risk averse. Right. And that comes down to the bottom line of government employees do not want to take the risk. And that's, you don't want to do that. You don't get into government because you want to take the risk to be in these like private startups. Um, well, which is why 95% of cities have no interest in being an ISP. This is not ever a topic of conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, last topic, um, one that we'll probably run out of time on, but um, we can we can start off with and we'll be able to continue in the future. In fact, uh, I hope that at some point in the future, we'll be able to bring Mike Conlow on to talk about um, his um, discussion of it. Uh, but uh, Vantage Point released a study to basically say, uh, hey, y'all are, um, are kind of using the wrong numbers to figure out how much it's going to cost in different discussions about bringing fiber to everyone. And uh, I think they make a number of very good points in terms of the estimates of the number of households that still need to be connected to fiber, uh, as well as some of the costs uh, having been based on older figures. Uh, and then they come up with the number of households that need to be connected and, and a figure that is, I believe, on the order of like $400 billion. Is that right, Doug? Um, no, they said anywhere from 150 billion to 250 billion, if I recall, but it was it was way more than 42 billion. Yeah. Right. And so Mike, Mike Conlow then did an analysis in which he felt that um, it would probably be on the order of uh, a total cost of 150 billion, but that the 42 and a half billion coupled with Ardoff could really move us in that direction well, which I think is an important point because. $42.5 billion the federal government is putting into this is not meant to be the sum total of expenditure uh, that results from that program. No, because they're not doing 100% grants. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. yes. So it's probably going to average out to 60% grants by the time it's all done. So that means there's another $30 billion coming in matching funds. So that's 70. And then RDOF is quite a pile. So do they account the interest rates in this study? Well, no, and they didn't count the other five things that make these big grants expensive like really expensive environmental studies to build on a, places that don't need it you know you have to go get a certified letter of credit you have to pay prevailing wage uh, on and on and on they, these things are easily 15 or 20 percent more expensive than what travis is spending to build and so. and then additionally the 20 percent that's going to go to taxes potentially if that's not fixed yes so so the you know, the, the con congressional rules said, here's the money. And by the way, it, it's not really 42 billion. It's effectively 30 billion because of those extra costs. Uh, yeah. So I completely agree with him that, you know, the folks who think that's enough money to solve everywhere. And there's a bottom line to that. The bottom line is 
communities that are being really proactive to make sure they get a B grant are going to get it. A lot of communities are not going to get one. They're going to be really disappointed after all this talk and they're not going to get a broadband solution. I mean, it's going to get very ugly. The states who are doing the big grants like Tennessee will do very well. They don't need as much now. The states who haven't done anything are going to get really, really upset. And Minnesota's, the states that Minnesota's one of them. The, the, the broadband office in Minnesota estimated that they're going to need 50% more than what they're likely to get from bead and that was before the cost went up don't even right. talk to me about minnesota where we yeah. have a nine billion dollar surplus that uh they mostly couldn't figure out and, how and, to do and, it. and they gave a hundred million of it to broadband and, and right. that was and, and that was federal money it wasn't even there it wasn't even there so and that's where i just like it's it's clear that this isn't a priority um no. whether for urban or suburban yeah. i mean it's definitely not a priority for urban no. but but yeah the um there's actually this this conversation just reminded me of one of the things I learned about um, one of the tribes that we've worked with in the tribal broadband boot camps is Hoopa Valley. And Hoopa Valley got $67 million from the uh, tribal broadband um, awards that were recently given uh, out by NTIA, uh, way behind schedule, but nonetheless, uh, very exciting, um, really, really enthusiastic about what Hoopa Valley is doing. Uh, but it is quite interesting that um, they quickly learned that they will not be able to break ground anytime soon because all the environmental and other permitting has to be done in for the entire project before, before they can the spend a penny right? and so like they're doing different things right they're building a data center which is why they they were able to exceed the 50 million dollar cap on the program they're doing a, a wireless ta a tower for like a wireless backhaul link while they're hoping some other middle mile stuff in the state will get sorted out and they're doing a fiber to the home project and none of the three of those things can move forward, even though they're totally independent, but they all have to have all the permitting done, which also means that they are not able to really do the same kind of work, um, workforce development that they would be able to if they could move a little bit more incrementally and get going on some of it. And it's just totally self-defeating. And really waiting two years means two more years of inflation, meaning their money won't go as far, right? Yes. No, it's very, when you work with these programs, it's really, you get heartburn every single day when they tell you you can't do something that you thought you could. It's, I mean, these federal grants are not fun to work with. Uh, any last topics, Travis? Um, can we give our viewership homework on this show? Yes, we absolutely yeah. can. I, I have a I have a homework assignment for everyone that always likes to talk about speed tests. Tonight at eight o'clock Eastern time would be a very <laughs> good time for you to test how good your broadband is, because we have a high traffic generation now on Thursday nights due to the uh, football episodes they run, and I think they're running the second episode on Amazon tonight at seven Eastern. So let's give it an hour to cook up. And then uh, go ahead and see how great your broadband is. And report back. Yeah, please. Hmm? Uh, so I guess what we would request is if people would do a speed test um, at a non- at And then do it another time. Do it another yeah. time also and see how it compares. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and if you watch the show, you could watch during the different quarters and run a periodic speed test and see how fabulous your network is doing in your neighborhood. Yes. So there, that, that was what I wanted to bring up. I can't do this tonight, Travis. I have a hot date with my wife. Nice. <laughs> and if anyone else wants to start the uh, the uh, campaign that I just started of Utopia coming to Palo Alto, California, um, I've already been doing that to uh, well, actually, I've, Palo Alto. I'm going to sign up. 
I'm going to sign that petition. Yeah. Yes, yes. Miss Kim would like to come visit you all and start, start digging. I really was really trying to go for that diamond status on Delta this year, so I appreciate like just finishing yep. off. Um, I'm really close, so I, I figured figured this is the thing. I've Thanks. got the I've got the miles for di for diamond on Delta, but I am not at the cash expenditure yet. I am I'm with you, Chris, because I'm cheap. <laughs> So we're on nonprofit and government. I got the miles. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I mean, I feel like I'd be closer if I would take fewer red eyes. Like the red eye really drops your ticket price. I found. So no, I, I, a lot I, of that. I used to hit it very easily when I lived in the Virgin Islands and flew back to the U.S. every week. Boy, that really racked it up. Yeah. Three-hour flight to Miami, and then I started my flight to go somewhere. <laughs> did, did I? Is this the very first episode we have not had a new government program this week? Or oh. did I miss it? It's, it's that wand of yours. It's working, Travis. It's working. <laughs> Palo Alto, make it happen. <laughs> I, I feasibility studied you. You're good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, uh, I, had a, I really appreciate uh, Kim and, and Doug joining us once again. Um, it's been a a wonderful, wonderful recap. And I think we're going to have a good opportunity to get some more shows in here uh, because I think I'm not traveling much until more than the end of October. And, um, oh, Juan is, is bragging there in the, in the chat here, uh, the speed test. Um, All right. There we I'll go. I'll just know. I mean, like, who knows how many of Juan's neighbors are watching the show, though, right now and uh, bringing down that. Uh... <laughs> that would well, be hold so on. Now, now, Juan, also, uh, if you would tell us what technology you are. Are you on Doxis? Are you on some? Oh, no, that's, that's... that's Doxis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that uh, we report in. So it'll be interesting. That that actually be interesting to see next next show at what Juan was at during the football episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um uh, maybe that will be next week. We'll uh, get, take a look at the calendars and we'll figure out what's going on. Um, but uh, I think uh, we'll be looking at having uh, Kim and Doug back probably in two weeks and uh, perhaps another show soon. Uh, hey. Mediacom. Wow. I've never he's, seen a speed test that road. high in Mediacom. He's down the road from us. He, yeah, he I think Juan, we're going to have to have some, uh, some dinner here. Um, yeah. Chicken wings. Yep. Cause you, you will notice, and I just want to be clear on this. We have had no chicken wings since the bet was won. So just to be clear, no, no, we did. I did. I I, I bought you at a uh, raised Ray J's in uh, Minneapolis. Remember? And then we decided to double mm. to go double or nothing. Okay. How yeah. am I doing on that bet, by the way? Um, <laughs> you're, do you're doing great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I'm going triple or nothing. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I Travis, I keep wanting, and I, I was hoping I would get out to your house, and then um, something just came up. But um, oh yeah, you told me not to come. That's what it came up. No, no. Remember, I had I, I got kind of busy with my job. So, anyways, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but soon, um, I think maybe we should just actually see if, like, you know, we can get um, um, uh, Hanky and uh, and other fans who've been on the show in the area and just do a a meetup. Should we do a nerd meetup? Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Kim, you should find an excuse to fly out. Doug, yeah, I know that you're not going to waste your time with us. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. Uh, it's been another fun episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.